Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, this week, an interview, as promised, if you listened to our last episode, which was a review of Touch the Night, um, you will know that uh, this episode is an interview with Max Booth III. He's the editor-in-chief of Perpetual Motion Machine, the managing editor of Dark Moon Digest, and the host of two podcasts, Ghoulish and Castle Rock Radio. He's the author of many novels and frequently contributes articles to Lit Reactor, Crime Reads, The San Antonio Current, Fangoria, and Film 14. He lives in Texas. I've never really thought about the title Editor-in-Chief, and I'm sure that there's a legitimate like explanation of what that is. But like, I don't know how, you know, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I love that term, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Not criticizing I mean, could... Max, of course. <laughs> We could start off by telling him, can you explain to us exactly what editor-in-chief means? And he's like, well, you know, I'm in charge. No, no, no. What the actual words editor-in-chief yeah. means. Yeah. It's going to be a combative, a combative interrogation yeah. off, the, off right. the very fucking bat. <laughs> so, I don't know why I took such offense to it. Like, I read it two days ago, and I had no problem with it. And now that you read it, I was like, wait a minute. I don't know if we'll get around to that, <laughs> but we do definitely have a ton of topics to cover with our guest tonight, Max Booth the Third. Max, thanks so much for taking some time to join us on the podcast. I know we've got, like, if you looked at the Venn diagram of, of us and you, there's a lot of overlapping over the years, so it's great that we finally got you on to, to talk to us. Yeah, thank you. I, I believe the uh, the uh, first interaction any of us had was when I published uh, James, uh, David James Keaton's collection, and we did that contest, and uh, you, uh, you emailed an incorrect response to the uh, contest, and I said nope, and that was always that was always said to each other. <laughs> and look, we That's... only we we only held a grudge for like a year over that, and now now we're over it. Rob, are you, <laughs> I... or, Rob, Rob, are you over it? I don't. I always contest? i I always keep my grudges. Uh, like I listened to the I listened to the episode you guys uh, talked about it on, and I think it was you, Rob, who said, "Yeah, and the fucking guy just said nope." <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like, and you know what? Honestly, like thinking about that, um, me and Livius know that, like, when we're talking to each other on the podcast, that like we exaggerate when we need to exaggerate, and we say shit like when it makes sense to make it the most entertaining version of whatever. But I never really think about the impact of like what we say to people who are receiving that. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'm offending people uh, ever. I, I probably am usually not. But um, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't offended at all. I thought it was great. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I want you to know that David James Keaton will come up minimum two more times in in this interview. So you'll you'll have lots of other opportunities to, to talk about Keaton. Um, Hey, so um, listeners probably heard our um, Touch the Night review, which uh, posted just a couple of days ago. Um, but why don't you tell our readers what Touch the Night is about, kind of in your own words? Yeah, it's a book about two kids who sneak out late at night, thinking that they might cause some uh, petty property damage, and things go pretty bad. And then things continue to get even worse, and suddenly they find themselves abducted by two cops who might not actually be cops and it's kind of a uh, two different stories going on side by side of what's going on with these kids and what's going on with the uh, the moms of these kids as they team up and try to 
take the law into their own hands. It's a supernatural uh, buddy comedy. <laughs> I must have missed that comedy part in, in, all, in, in, in all of that. So yeah. Yeah, um, I, uh, I didn't feel right. I said, said comedy, comedy, but then it just came out of my mouth, and now there's no taking it back. Now I'll, I'll back it up. I'll back up the comedy thing with um, when we were talking to Josh Mallerman, and he was raving about Touch the Night. One of the things that he emphasized was how funny you are. So apparently, it's in there at least for Josh. I think maybe. I mean, in this book specifically, but maybe all the books I write, the comedy only really comes from the way kill tools uh, interact with each other. I don't really write about uh, wacky situations, but just the way some uh, folks react, maybe it can be a uh, humorous in the dialogue. This is a question that I try super, super hard not to ask writers, um, but I'm going to go ahead and do it this time. <clears throat> I'm curious, and, and this is still kind of staying on Touch the Night. It's the only book of yours I've read, so it's all the source material I have for you. Mm-hmm. Who were your horror influences? I don't mean like currently, like, but when you when you got the idea you wanted to write, who who were kind of some of the formative voices that you were reading? Absolutely, uh, Stephen King. He was a big one. Uh, I began reading folks like uh, Christopher Pike, who was. Uh, a YA goddess, although I did not realize YA was a thing when I was a kid, but now I do. I progressed from Pike to King. I read a lot of John, uh, David Wong, who wrote a novel called Day, uh, John Dies at the end. That was a huge influence on my teenage years. I read that book uh, many, many times because I think it blends comedy and spooky stuff almost to perfection, maybe. I was a big, big fan of House of Leaves as a kid. I uh, obsessed over that book maybe way too much. I don't know. I was also a big movie guy. I watched a lot of spooky movies as a kid. My uh, family didn't exactly provide like limits on what I could watch, so we watched pretty much anything, uh, graphic or otherwise. Growing up, we... Uh, we all lived in the living room. We didn't uh, go into other rooms of the house because it was too messy to uh, walk into. So we would just always have movies playing in the, in the living room, uh, watching anything, uh, Quentin Tolentino movies, uh, Evil Dead, anything by Sam Raimi was a big, uh, a big plus. Very cool. Yeah, I... Um... I wish horror movies had the same feel they do now as they did, say, through, you know, whatever, the 80s and 90s. Um, And I still enjoy some horror movies, but it feels like there's something different about them now that I can't quite put my finger on. But it's just not the same. Even when I go back and revisit some of those movies, even if they didn't age well, there's definitely a different feel to them. Yeah, I think movies now mostly rely too much on uh, jump skills, maybe. And also, the most of them will film the, with digital cameras, and they just look, look like shit, I think. Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think that the production value, although we, we kind of think has gone up, maybe horror um, does better with a little bit of grain. Yeah, did you guys see uh, The House of the Devil? I mean, that was a more recent movie, but it looks amazing. Not me. No, not me either. I'm going to look that up. It's a T. West movie. I think is how you say his name. T. Ty? I don't know. House of the Devil, huh? Yeah. 
I'll be damned. Well, I'm going to admit, like, while Livius is looking this up, because I know he's going to have a better reaction than me, that, like, my taste uh, is is questionable, like, in pretty much every, like, medium. Like, I've been told I have terrible taste in music. Um, I have very specific (laughs) tastes in, like, movies and stuff that I'll obsess about one thing. And then, you know, so I miss a lot of stuff, I guess is what I'm saying. So I am not... Yeah. Um... Uh, I, I shouldn't be a tastemaker, you know, in, in almost any respect, which is funny because I review books. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I kind of rely on Livius to choose them. So um, I'm not I'm not the person to be asking that question to. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I listened to that episode you did about Touch Tonight, and I think you have excellent taste. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there we go. That's uh, good. That's one for me. I will say I'm adding this House of the Devil to my uh, to-be-watched list because right now i have nothing to watch um pandemic has shut down everything i care about on television pretty much so i think uh, i think i might have to add this hell um, yeah to my it's list nice, looks, this looks really nice, interesting it's a nice slow uh dreadful movie i hope you dig it oh and it's got that dude that was in manhunter so we, we made it six minutes so we got a hannibal <laughs> reference of some sort i think that's all i know him from sorry <laughs> um can we talk so obviously you listen to the the episode the review and and we don't want to do spoilers but that family man in touch the night is so fucking bizarre and creepy i have to imagine that that i mean i, I guess i shouldn't i shouldn't imagine I, I should just ask like how did you construct that kind of bizarre conglomeration of of villains yeah, I uh, I just love creepy ass uh, inbred cannibal families so much. It's a it's a passion of mine. <laughs> uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously. Uh, I don't play a lot of video games, but sometimes I do. And a video game I was playing uh, around the same time that I began writing this book was Resident Evil Seven, and that also kind of deals with a crazy uh, family out in the woods. And I just, and I was just like, yeah, I want to write something like this. And then I did. But uh, as far as uh, calling them like uh, uncle and father and a baby, I I tried to come up with creepy names and nothing came up. And I eventually, like, uncle was just a placeholder until I realized, no, wait, this is a pretty cool name just to keep by itself. So I just uh, kept them all. And it kind of helped me expand on the family because I would think like, well, okay, who else is in the family? Could there be uh, a nephew, perhaps, a niece? I mean, none of those uh, show up in the book, but I also don't exactly say, okay, that's all of the family. We saw them all. I mean, there could be many other uh, fucking demonic members of this family roaming around that the the protagonists in the book never uh, stumbled across. I'm looking forward to Abuela in the uh, in, in the se- in the sequel book. Isn't that uh, like that's grandmother, right? I, I got that I right. Think so. I think so. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I guess now that now that Rob said that, um, are there thoughts on, on extending the story? I have an idea for a sequel, but it's not at the uh, top of my priority list. It's called a. It would be called a break the day, perhaps going with the uh, whole touch the night theme and i think it would take place almost immediately after the book ended but i have no convictions that i'm going to it's just an idea at this moment so um 
in our in our discussion of the book, one of the things that we kind of fumbled around was like somewhat categorizing the story, and we landed on kind of cosmic horror. the The tricky part was that we didn't talk anything about that part of the book because we didn't want to spoil anything, but it we, we put it in that category. So, um, what I guess my question is, uh, was there where did like the kernel of the idea for um like this kind of otherworldly thing come from yeah uh <clears throat> it's just something i've always been pretty uh interested in the uh, whole what's on the other side of the wall of reality and what happens if uh maybe it broke loose um I like not knowing things, and a lot of the book is just things happening and no explanation is given, because I just find that a lot more unsettling. I think if I uh, provided a lot of uh, detailed explanations of uh, how everything came to be, I don't know if it would be as exciting, maybe. Maybe it would be, but I don't know. I, I doubt my ability to pull it off without sounding kind of hokey about it. I uh, I like a lot of movies. I like a lot of cosmical fiction, like um, John Wingen and uh, Lild Billon and Betty Rocksteady and those folks. They, uh, well, fiction is different from usual uh, spooky fiction because it really uh, kind of... I don't know exactly how to explain why I like cosmical fiction, except that it gets my brain thinking in directions that it usually does not travel, maybe. So, actually, one of the things that you said that um, uh, we called out in the review that I thought was very effective was almost that um, this was more of like a slice-of-life kind of approach to telling a story, where like you said, um, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. We don't know why this started. Um, and, and I feel like that was effective because it puts you right into the action instead of doing all this building and, you know, um, afterwards type of stuff. So, uh, uh, not even a question. Just want to say, I feel like that was probably a good choice to go in that direction. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, that mostly probably happened because with this book, I didn't exactly do an outline. So most of the time I was like, ah, what's going to happen now? (laughs) Well, we'll see. (laughs) If you had to pick one favorite um, villain from your book, which one would it be? It would uh, be Baby, I think, because I have no idea what the hell's going on behind that uh, flesh mask. I uh, <laughs> The thought of Baby just showing up is terrifying to me. It is so mysterious. That's honestly like one of the things I appreciate about talking to Stephen Graham Jones about Uh, his writing is that it it always comes down to when we get down to like the real fundamentals of, of his motivations, it's always that I'm afraid of whatever I wrote. So that's funny. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult to talk too much about a baby without spoiling some things, but the whole, like don't uh, take off his face or mask uh, aspect. I, uh, I didn't know what would happen once they did do that. So when I came upon this scene in New Well, they keep talking about don't do it, but so obviously they have to do it, otherwise it's going to be a disappointment. And when I came upon that scene, it was uh, I just thought, okay, what would be the creepiest fucking thing they could see? And uh, what they do see is uh, what came to mind. And that part, quite honestly, was 
is delivered beautifully. I mean, it's one of those little things that's just a nice touch. And I know listeners are like, well, we don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, read the book. <laughs> but that 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 reveal, I thought, was handled so well. And like you said, happens in passing, right? It happens over the course of two or three lines, and, and you don't really think about it largely. But now we're, that we're talking about it, I think it's those nice little touches that really put the, the creep into the story. Now, when you say touches, are you uh, making a pun? No, 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 no. I also listened to a couple of your podcasts. I should have seen that coming. God damn it. That's usually his level of comedy, too, so I'm surprised it wasn't intentional. (laughs) No, it wasn't. I don't don't believe you, but okay. (laughs) All right, so offline, we... um, we, we, we figured out that um, this book was based um, in some part on, on the town you grew up in. Um, I, I guess, I don't know. Did you have bad feelings about the town you grew up in? Because from reading this book, I'm guessing maybe you did. Lake Station, Indiana is the town I grew up in. And also Touch the Night takes place in Lake Station, although under a different name. I have complicated feelings about the town, maybe... Uh, it's really I grew up. I had a lot of fun with uh, my friends. We uh, did a lot of things the uh, the children and Touch the Night do. I mean, most of the things that happen, uh, like there's this whole chapter where they look at a camera and watch things that they do over the span of a day. Most of that is just, should I actually do that as a kid? And those little good memories. But also, like, Station is fucking overrun by meth. And the cops are shitheads and it is a racist town i uh growing up i think my school had maybe one black family and i never knew any black people at all anyone who wasn't white i uh, did not know i mean my family was uh, extremely racist and we just lived in a racist household and it wasn't until i uh, grew up a bit more and i realized oh hey this is not good but i left lake station when i was a uh, it, uh, I, th- I believe 12 and we began moving around various hotels throughout the uh, state of Indiana and we just lived in different hotels until I was 16 so I only, I only lived in Lake Station until I was 12 so I want to throw in a little tidbit of uh, Indiana um, experience for me uh, I looked up where that town is and um good friend of mine uh, that I grew up with uh uh, lives in Highland, Indiana, so closer yeah. to the Illinois border. So, I can't tell you how often I'm down hanging out in Highland. Just a little, I know Highland. Little plug. Yeah. It's it's a little nothing of a town, but uh, yeah, that's where that's where he lives. What's his name? <laughs> oh, he, well, <laughs> he's my age. There's no way you know him. I know you. We actually talk about him on the podcast a lot. His name is John. Nah, I know John's. Yeah. He's Indiana. He's Indiana John. Uh, I'll have to t- check my uh, database of uh, Indiana Johns, and <laughs> we can compare and contrast. I've yeah. heard I've heard prostitutes say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so it devolves, right? Livius Indiana Johns. I thought that was a pretty good. Yes, does I, I liked it. I liked it. <clears throat> All right. Um, not to move too far away from Touch the Night, but we do want to address that just, uh, I don't know, a month ago, roughly five weeks ago, you had a um, novella come out, too, called We Need to Do Something. What is that um, about? 
Yeah, that's about a family in Texas who uh, take shelter in the uh, the ensuite bathroom that connects to the the master bedroom because a tornado is coming through town. And as they uh, as they're hanging out in the bathroom waiting for it to pass, a tree in the backyard uh, falls down onto the house. It goes through the roof and lands on the opposite side of the bathroom door. And the book just takes place in that bathroom as they uh, decide how to escape and survive. All right. Two-part question. Is it horror? <laughs> and where did that come from? Uh, yes, it is. And it came from the fact that uh, last year a, a tornado came through old town. And <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had to take shelter in the bathroom. And I kept thinking... Man, it'd be fucked up if we got stuck in this thing. And I just thought, oh, well, what would happen? And what would happen if I was also an alcoholic too? Because I would, I would eventually begin the withdrawal, and that's what I put into the book. And things do not go uh, well. I would say it's even more fucked up than than touch the night somehow. Wow. Good lord. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's I've been through. You know, it's like, all right, you know. Just... I've seen Twister. Like, yeah, you know, but <laughs> Jesus, more fucked up than Touch the Night. Okay. I, I wrote both of those books back to back, and I never want to write in this genre again. <laughs> it, it left me emotionally drained. I usually write more light-held stuff, maybe. So I don't know why I decided to write two of the most fucked up books I've ever even thought about back to back. I don't recommend it. Um, I, two things. First of all, I want to congratulate you on using en suite, which you almost yeah, never, yeah. ever hear. <laughs> so that's fucking terrific. Probably a first for the podcast. Um, yes. Second of all, I don't know if you want to stray away from that, because we should talk about the fact that Cemetery Dance has your limited edition of Touch the Night, which is <clears throat> arguably one of the coolest notches to put in your belt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, when I first began getting into the writing scene just to get something in the magazine, seemed like an impossible task. And I should know, I still have not been in the magazine, and it still feels like an impossible task. But the idea of getting a book with them was never an idea that even crossed my mind. So I was pretty blown away that a Rich said, yeah, let's do this. Uh yeah, they're doing the uh, the limited edition held back, and they're also doing the ebook. And I am self-releasing the uh, paperback myself. So can we can we talk a little bit about the um, we've mentioned we mentioned on the on the review uh, some of the reception that we were aware of for Touch the Night, um, and it's it's pretty high praise. So Richard Chismar himself um, had a lot of great things to say about um, you and the book. Ma- uh, Josh Mallerman was like practically frothing. Like he was so excited when we said that we were going to review that book. Um, so what's your reaction to the reaction? My reaction is, yeah, I'm glad you guys like this book. Uh, Richard uh, told me that it reminded him of a uh, layman. And I said, Oh, thank you so much. But I did not, re- I did not include that. Uh, I have never read layman. So I have no idea if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> considering uh, that i'd say it's a great thing okay yeah. yeah i mean it seemed like a compliment it would be odd if he was like negging me 
while also publishing the book. Like, I, this book sucks, Max. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anything, I mean, Josh has been a great uh, support of my uh, fiction lately, beginning with the uh, Carnivalous Lunal Activities, which came out through uh, Fangolia last year. And we've uh, slowly become pretty good friends. We now even have the same manager, so that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Um, I, 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 I'm wondering... I don't know how much you want to get into this, but sometimes Rob and I are fascinated by the publishing process, which we don't understand even a little bit. How how do you end up on a weird like they have the limited edition in the ebook, but you're doing the paperback? Like how how does a deal like that get structured versus them having all of it, or you know what I mean? Like I, I yeah. guess I'm looking for a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, so I mean I'm a, I'm still pretty new to uh, the way right soul divided. Because in with previous books, the uh, the press just uh, took them all, and also really didn't pay me for anything up front. But with Cemetery Dance, a little more of a a, a big old press, and uh, they have money, and they when they uh, offered to uh, publish the book, they uh, basically they just said, hey, we want to buy the ebook and limited edition holdback rights. And I said, oh, but what about the other rights? And they said, ah, we don't want those. You can keep them. And I said, okay. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. I guess uh, with the, the, the big old presses you go with, the more money they begin offering you, but also they get more specific about what rights they want. Because I guess if you had an agent, which I do not, the agent would uh, uh, negotiate with uh, how much money the uh, author could get depending on what rights they were trying to take. So like right now I have the paperback rights still. I have the audio rights, I have the uh, the film rights, and the movie and TV rights. So I can do anything with that that I want to, and I will get paid the 100% for everything. We'll add, say, if they had the film rights as well, they would also get a piece of that cake, but they didn't buy those rights. They just have the rights to uh, release the ebook and a held back. So fascinating. Like, I, I don't know that I ever want to get involved in the publishing business. So kudos <laughs> to you for not only running a press, but then dealing with weird deals with other presses, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I bet you, like, say, with, uh, like, Josh Mandelman or Paul Tremblay, I mean, we're getting published by the Big Five now, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you see, like, a U.S. edition and also a U.K. edition. That sounds fairly confusing to me, and I haven't had that come uh, – across with uh, my own stuff yet but if it does hopefully i have someone i can just be like okay you uh you know what this is you take care of this because it's really confusing to me is you like wipe the sweat from your brow with like the hundred dollar <laughs> bills yeah exactly uh yeah. i have lots of those i keep around <laughs> just to uh, wipe sweat off my body <laughs> Oh man, I, I was brow only. You went full body. That's. <laughs> I uh, sweat all over myself, uh, Rob, but <laughs> not just my face. <laughs> <laughs> all right. While we're on the to the topic of publishing, um, we mentioned it in in your bio, but um, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing is your baby. Um, yeah. How'd you decide to get into publishing? Like I said, it, the, the whole the whole thought sounds abhorrent to me, like from the, the amount of work that would go into it and dealing with writers all day. How'd you come to the conclusion to start putting other people's work out? 
Yeah, so I'll begin by saying I, I don't recommend anyone do it. So <laughs> if you're thinking about doing it, don't. Just do anything else. It uh, began because I was uh, helping edit a magazine called Dark Moon Digest. And also helping edit it was uh, my spouse. We were both uh, volunteer editors for the magazine. It was run by a guy named Stan Swanson. And we uh, thought, hey, what if we... Uh, what if we ran? What if we uh, began a publishing company? Wouldn't that be something? And we both maybe were drunk at the time. And I said, "Yeah, we should do that." And then I immediately began a Facebook page with uh, for the company that we decided to begin within fucking ten minutes of that conversation. <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, what should we call it?" And she was like, "I don't know." And at the time, I was listening to a song called "Perpetual Motion Machine" by Modest Mouse, and I said, "Hey." That's a good name because it would be funny, right? Because what if we began it and we called it Perpetual Motion Machine and then we would never be able to stop because that would seem uh, kind of hypocritical if a Perpetual Motion Machine just stopped. So we would have to continue forever. And that's what we've done since then. Very prescient, I would say, <laughs> naming of that publishing. <laughs> I, uh, we began it in 2012, so I guess this is a fucking, what, eight years now? Is that how math works? Uh, some days I regret it. Some days I'm glad we do it. I mean, it's something we uh, talk about and do together pretty much every day, and it's exhausting and a lot of work, and most of the time we uh, do not uh, succeed in what we want to do, but... I do take pride in the fact that we don't uh, rip uh, Elthol's off and we are 100% honest in what we do and how we operate because I've had a lot of experience with other shady presses, well, presses that I did not know would be shady that till now to be shady. And uh, I've been uh, uh, let down quite a bit, so I'm glad to uh, be the opposite of that for Edel and uh, Reynolds. I can't help but notice that I believe you and Richard Chismar are about the same age. I mean, I know he started Cemetery Dance as a magazine, but you started a, a full-on book press right around the same age. That has to be daunting that young. Yeah, I mean, it probably was. It should have been. I don't know if I realized <laughs> it until a few years later, but it definitely should have been. I will also say later on, we did end up uh, buying that magazine we were editing. Uh, so now we also uh, release full issues of Dark Moon Digest every year that we uh, publish through a perpetual motion machine. All right. I've got a very serious question. This this was in yeah. our, this was in my, uh, uh, me and Livius do a little warm up conversation. And then before we talk and um, in our warm up conversation, uh, or no, no, actually it was, um, it was uh, when we were reading your bio before we brought you on. That's what it was. Uh, edit. It, you're, you're you're called in your bio. It says editor in chief of Perpetual Motion Machine. So I guess my question is, um, like it, unpacking the idea of an editor in chief. Is there more than one person doing editor editor stuff? <laughs> and are you where like? And that's not me trying to be a dick about it. I just want to know like it it, impl it to me implies layers of responsibility so uh what's the scope of of what you do are you kind of a man of all the hats or do you focus on one thing and 
your your spouse does other stuff or how does that break out yeah so that name absolutely implies that we have a big staff a fucking of team editing <laughs> it's uh incorrect uh, yeah. it just sounds cool uh, <laughs> uh yeah so what i do is i read uh the manuscripts we get in i uh i find folks i would like to publish and i send them invites to send us things i read it all i'm the one who uh, edits the books and i do most of the uh promotion and she uh she does all the uh designing like the filmatting inside of books because oh, nice. she's a, a fucking witch when it comes to interior design she also freelances for like 12 or 200 different presses it's between 12 and 200 and she does all the interior filmmaking for all those websites uh not websites but uh presses as well she also handled all the bookkeeping and royalties because math baffles me and i do not understand it and she helps uh package all the books that we uh, sell and she makes a uh, post office trips because for some reason the post office is open like three and a half hours a day it seems exactly when i'm asleep <laughs> because i look a night shift i think um although i definitely appreciated all of that i think what rob was trying to get at is he's trying to be editor-in-chief of book podcast and i think you just answered his question <laughs> that he can definitely go with that title if he needs to and podcaster in chief i won't go. stop you <laughs> hey so um we've we've reviewed a, a a couple of titles from perpetual motion machine um i guess I want to know, like, does David James Keaton have, like, weird, like, nudes of you or something? How did he get you to publish a pizza horror book? God damn it. <laughs> that book has been a, a fucking plague on my soul. Uh, <laughs> Surprising that Keaton's attached. Yeah. yeah he, Shocking. Uh, he, uh, several years ago, I... Uh, I crossed paths with a with a witch with one eye, and uh, I maybe uh, stepped on a foot, and she said, "You will, I will be doomed." And then Keaton popped up, and now he won't leave, and that's how I got involved with Keaton. But with this book, exactly, uh, I booked uh, a night shift at a hotel, and uh, David does not sleep, it seems, so we stay up a lot talking via private message. And it began because he wanted to submit something to an anthology that re required uh, collaborations. So he said, hey, you want to help me finish this uh, short story I began writing? And I said, yeah, because I don't say no to things like an idiot. And it was about pizza. And then that story was rejected. And we were like, hey, no one rejects us. So we, <laughs> so we placed an open call for uh, anthology in an anthology of uh, similar themed stories, and we ended up getting like fucking seven thousand eight hundred and fifty-two uh, submissions. Wait, is that the actual number? Yeah, yeah, I have it written down in front wow. of me. Wow. So uh, let me That's... look again. It says uh, nine thousand two hundred and five. <laughs> <laughs> I like how the we don't get nobody. I like how the the nobody rejects us comes immediately after an actual rejection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, how how fucking ludicrous would you have to be to reject one of us? I don't know. 
Well, it's interesting because I think back to the conversation we had with David about this, and um, he talked about the number of rejections that you guys sent out and how there was going to be like an uprising and other people were going to publish a pizza horror anthology as well with like the rejects, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, um, it's that was ca- a... kind of an interesting story because I'll be I'll tell you, I don't know how much narrower of a niche you can get than pizza horror. Like, it would have to be, like, one topping pizza horror for it to be, like, even more narrow than it was. <laughs> it's funny because now if you look at some open calls for submissions, you will see in the guidelines, like, no pizza-themed stories. Because, yeah, this the rejections have uh, plagued a society. <laughs> People There's are just trying guy. to sell them anywhere. Do you, get, do you guys know who uh, David Scal is? I think it's how you say his last name. S-C-H-O-W? I am not no, familiar. Sorry. So he's he's kind of like a like a old school uh, splattle punk author. He came up with the uh, Lansdale and all of those guys and John Skip. He even coined the uh, the fa- the phrase splattle punk. Recently, mm. uh, he uh, someone brought up pizza themed hole and uh, <laughs> I saw he, he uh, posted a response saying pizza hole was a plague to the genre and I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, printed that out because I like that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah that's a badge. It, yeah, totally yeah, a badge. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, great book, despite how we pose some of those questions, um, and certainly unique in in uh, in anthologies. Probably forever is my thought. Yeah, I don't want to do one again. <laughs> Well, I can assure you that Keaton is listening, and right now he's uh, he's trying to yeah, figure like out how he can get you. To, yeah, four separate threads in his head right now of like positive and negative things, and yeah, he's a he's a pretty kooky dude. I'm sure he's making a list of notes of things to uh, touch base with me on once I uh, once he listens to the episode. I uh, when I listened to the review episode you guys did of Touch the Night, I was I was really hoping you guys would hate the book. I had a I had a piece of paper and a pen handy, and I wanted to make notes. And I thought it would be extremely funny if I came on and just like argued with you guys the whole time. Like, no, you're wrong. This is why. <laughs> but it was mostly positive. So, fuck. Uh- well, I mean, I, we we probably could have tried to be more critical if we knew that's what you were going for. Um, <laughs> but like, I I don't I don't mind a good adversarial conversation um, every now and now and again. Although I don't know, sometimes it's a little much. Rob's talking about when he's having adversarial conversations with me specifically yeah. on the. Yeah. It's a little much, I think. I, I felt it. I felt I, it. Well, yeah, what I meant to say is Libyus is a little much, but I was trying to be yes. polite. Hey, so you mentioned working overnight in a hotel and hotels came up earlier. Um, I imagine and I don't know what kind of hotel or what kind of town you're in, but I imagine nighttime in a hotel can probably be, um, uh, although boring, a lot of the time could probably be a little interesting at times, too. Am I correct in that assessment? Yes, it is uh, not great. A lot of uh, drunks. uh, cross my path a lot of uh interesting incidents happen i even uh, i read a novel about it called the nightly disease most of it is a non-fiction disguised as fiction about a guy walking the night shift in the uh, in a hotel in texas i mean uh when you when you mention hotels my brain just ex- expands so i mean if you have any uh, <laughs> any questions about it i can answer but right now like nothing specific comes to mind 
Uh, you did have um, a, a, at least a small part uh, in Touch the Night uh, took place in a hotel in an overnight type situation. So I'm yeah. assuming if you if you include an element, when I was reading that, obviously knowing enough about you to know that, you know, you have experience there. I was like, oh, this is probably just, you know, this, this is probably the easiest part of the book for him to write. You will know this, the the lady working the night shift at that hotel was described as an angel as well. Intentional. <laughs> That's right. Mary did say, are you an angel? Yeah. And was like, I, I did notice that that clerk was uh, uh, su- suspiciously helpful. Like it seemed like it was like over, over the top in, in helpfulness, but maybe, I don't know. I've, I've never been an asshole, a hotel, uh, you know person or whatever or a uh, customer so i don't know i guess yeah guest yeah, thank yeah, you yeah. guest none, none of us have ever been an asshole in a hotel okay all right <laughs> i've been an asshole in lots um, of places <laughs> um i i guess i i mean i guess i would just ask if you had one solid like story to share from yeah. from your from your overnight work and how specifically overnights because like i said i think that changes the whole dynamic of of you know the hotel business I agree, it does. Uh, I'll tell you guys one thing that happened uh, pretty recently, within the last month, I would say. So, some uh, some uh, details about the hotel. It has a it's, it's medium size. It has uh, 117 rooms. It's right off a highway. Uh, I'm the only employee at night. There's nobody else. And uh, when this happened, the uh, the end, the lock on the front doors was uh, busted, so I had no way of locking it at all. So it's about uh, one o'clock in the morning, and I'm—I don't know—I think I was reading *The Stand* by uh, Stevie King, and these two guys came in. And since we are in the uh, middle of a pandemic, obviously they had uh, some masks on, so I didn't think too much of it. And the one of the guys—I guess he is the uh, the leader of the group. He. <laughs> The group is just two guys. He uh, he comes up and he has his cell phone out. He says uh, he is with a Bell Bonds company, and he shows me a photo of some guy sleeping on a couch. And he's demanding I tell him uh, where this guy is hiding. And I said I don't know who that is. And I said you guys have to leave because I don't like what's happening. And uh, quite uh, quickly the conversation got pretty heated. We were both telling each other to. Uh, fuck off uh the guy threatened to come around the front desk and uh, tie me up and i said hey don't do that because because well i I did not want to be tied up so i obviously uh told him not to do it and he tried to uh jump over the front desk but the desk is pretty high so he failed and gave up (laughs) (laughs) he kept accusing me of uh being this man's uh boyfriend and i said well i'm not and he kept saying I bet you're gay, huh? I bet you're a faggot. And I said, what if I was, man? Were you uh, looking for a date? And uh, he did not like that one bit. And he came back to the front desk. And he tried once again to hop the desk. But once again, he failed. <laughs> he, he left. And I just stood and waited. And I did not know what to expect. But So I uh, looked at the cameras we have. And I watched them uh, walk around the hotel a few times and then leave. So I went out into the lobby, and I found this uh, Bell Bonds uh, business cone that he dropped. I guess he was trying to show it to me when he walked in, but I did not see it. I only saw it once they left. And the next day, I uh, I called the company. 
I was on the uh, Bell Bonds business call to uh, complain, basically. I said, hey, I need to talk to somebody and ask if this is how most bounty handles uh, treat random people who look at hotels, because that's not cool. And I talked to the guy's name who was on the business call. Uh, his, I'm not going to say his name, obviously, but he was listed as, as an agent. And once I finally got a hold of him, I discovered this guy now owned the, uh, the branch, and he was an agent over a decade ago, so the business call that I had was over a decade old, clearly out of date, and he had no idea who I was talking about, so obviously these guys uh, oh. will not bounty handles, and they will just using it. So I uh, don't know what the fuck that was about exactly. I could speculate. Perhaps uh, something drug-related? I don't know. I think maybe if I if they had just said, Hi, we all criminals, and we don't have this guy, I, I probably wouldn't have talked so much shit. Because it seemed <laughs> easier to talk shit to someone in authority than it did to uh, just criminals. Because <laughs> Jesus. So uh, just a rule of the, of the wise, if you're a criminal, and uh, just, just announce that. Don't uh, pretend to be a bell bondsman because uh, I will be more uh, willing to uh, cooperate with you. This went from like the worst episode of Dog the Bounty Hunter into something like far more ominous, like at the turn of one business card. When he told me that, I uh, pretty much uh, shit my pants. I was like, oh no. Yeah, that's an adventure, that story you just told. Um, when you, all right, in the beginning, I want to say that when you said they came in with masks because of the pandemic so you weren't like you were expecting it I, yeah. I was in my in my heart i was like please let them say that they took off the masks and had like no face like or something really <laughs> really fucked up like that um yeah but i guess my non-weird point about that story is uh when i think about jobs like that uh like where you have really no support the pro like the thing that would just grind my soul the most is those those types of situations where really the law should be involved like when you've got weirdos threatening you and stuff like that and like you're just kind of you know it's almost like you're on your own little island and you have yeah. no support and you just you have no choice but to deal with that situation like i don't know how people you know endure that because it sounds awful it's, it is awful, and I uh, don't know why I quit. I think about quitting constantly, but also things <laughs> need to be paid. So <laughs> that money part, right? Yeah. I um for years I was involved in the self storage business, and although people there are uh, you know a little less transient than in a hotel, it's kind of like the same thing. Like you know, eighty percent of your customers just good people storing their stuff, and then the twenty percent are always very odd and they always seem like they're up to something. There's always weird issues. So I, I, I feel a little bit of your pain, not, not to the same extent, but yeah. uh, if you haven't worked in that type of like kind of come and go business like that, there, there are things you see that your average person who works whatever in a factory or even a retail store or whatever, just doesn't, doesn't come across. And it, it can be a little, it can be a little scary sometimes. It can be. I think I've only gotten into one actual uh, physical fight at the hotel. 
that was a few years ago. This uh, this guy, he was drunk off his ass, and he was demanding I give him this discount for some company. And the only identification he had was like a a construction held helmet, and it didn't even have the company's logo on it. He just said, "Look at this helmet. I'm with this company." I was like, "I don't know what this means," and we didn't even have a a discount code with that company anyway. So I don't know what the fuck he was on about. And he got so <laughs> mad, he demanded like a phone number to call. A- and I uh, went to go give it to him, and then he began like talking shit to me. So I dropped the uh, phone number on the on the uh, opposite side of the front desk, close to me. And I said, you know, you can find it by googling. You can just leave. And he got really mad. And this guy managed to uh, hop over the front desk because he was extremely tall, and. He basically dived head first at me, and I stepped to the side and, like, just grabbed his back and helped him continue. And he just fucking nailed his wall, his uh, head against the wall, and left this huge fucking dent. And he got up and tried to tackle me. And once again, I just stepped to the side. He fell again. And he got up, and I said, You have to leave. And he said, I'm trying to. And then he just walked out and left. <laughs> Isn't the exit, you know, don't you have to jump over the counter and try to yeah. assault the employee to get out of the... Just... <laughs> so the other, the alleged bounty hunter guy couldn't make it over the counter, but some drunk guy, apparently almost with no, made, made it like over the counter and then yeah. the issues occurred. So I'm a little... One, yeah. <laughs> one big difference is with a drunk guy, he had nothing in his way, but the uh, bounty handle, we now have these uh, plex- uh, plexiglass uh, walls, so that mm-hmm, kind of fucking mm-hmm. gotcha. uh, yeah. jumping. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, that makes a little more sense, because really, I'd have been like, man, a drunk dude got over this counter last time someone tried to hop over. What the fuck is wrong with you, bounty hunter guy? It also helps if you imagine a drunk guy with a giant cowboy hat on and boots. Well, you're in Texas. You that's like the yeah. uniform, yeah, that's, right? That's everybody. Aren't you wearing a hat and boots <laughs> yeah, right now? Yeah, that's what you're, yeah. I'm yeah. Uh, cleaning my gun as we talk. Right. There you go. Yeah, there's a longhorn in your backyard. Authentic. I'm uh, not talking about a weapon, by the way. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Clown costumes. Hey, uh, so I want to yeah. go back to David James Keaton for a second, because we promised that he would come up at least twice in the episode. <clears throat> and um, he actually messaged us ahead of ahead of this conversation with a question he phoned in a question basically i don't know any i don't have any context to this question so i'm just going to ask it and hope that like you know (laughs) it makes sense to you uh he said when you interview max ask him what drove him off facebook yeah yeah he told me he asked you that i thought of course you did yeah (laughs) he messaged me like just a stitch on himself wait when when was the best because i want to know if he sent it to you first this is 6, nah. 628 p.m. today. Okay, hold on. Let me look at my message. <laughs> he is. He would. He would message me and then immediately message you. That's the type of person he is. Mm-hmm. One second. Do, 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 do. At 629 p.m. You're kidding me. <laughs> what time did you say? 628. <laughs> <laughs> that, I almost want to call him up right now and be like, you need to fucking just calm down. You get him on the on the phone? <laughs> I don't know. We probably could. Probably could. Anyway, I guess, I guess we should address his question because yeah, he he, I mean, he doesn't want to bring it up on his podcast, so he, we, he has to take up time on our podcast. 
No, no real major reason. Like, I know a lot of folks left because of uh, political reasons, and that's cool and good. But, I mean, if I left because of political reasons, I would be a hypocrite for uh, keeping Edwell social medias. It was no, just a case. Just, just, uh, I find Facebook pretty annoying. And I think there's a difference between uh, Facebook and, say, uh, Twiddle in that uh, there's some little jokes on Twiddle and Facebook is not as uh, fun to look at and it mostly just makes me mad and I spend way too much time uh, looking at things when I could be doing something productive. So it's just a way to uh, distract me less. More more time for TikTok, first of all. Yeah. You want TikTok? Uh. <laughs> I just began a profile. It's great. <laughs> Um, I have an account, but just like to follow like the handful of like it's I follow mostly magicians for some reason watching like 15 minute or 15 second clips of magicians is really entertaining for me. Um, but yeah, I do. I do not have a TikTok. I, uh, <laughs> I was hoping either of you had one and I was going to make up some lie about how TikTok was a social media app strictly for uh, photographs of clocks. But now you've <laughs> ruined that. <laughs> damn it yeah i should have i did i did i hit the magician thing too early i did give you the opening for the joke so i apologize oh, wait is tiktok like uh just a bunch of, like is it like vine is that what it was called is that the yeah. same thing okay yeah it's like a a reimagining of of vine um i'm definitely not the age group that should be on tiktok um it's definitely like for much much younger people um but there's like so like probably 0.05% of the content is entertaining to me. Um so, yeah. I use it more yeah. of as a joke than anything. Yeah, one little thing about Facebook I found is the only uh, funny entertaining posts that I would see were just screenshots from Twiddle. So I thought, well, why not just go to Twiddle? It's <laughs> a very valid point. As the resident old guy um in this uh group here, um, I, I don't use TikTok, so all the information I get about TikTok is from news clips, and it's always about some horrifying challenge that's going around on TikTok. Oh, none, that's, so that's yeah. my, when I picture it, it's like it's either people like jumping out of fucking cars while they're moving, or people like letting someone run them over with an eighteen wheeler. Like that's just all I picture when someone says TikTok. That and that's, probably a lot of like twerking. That's, <laughs> so. that's a very distorted perception of TikTok. I will tell you that. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's I am very benign. I am really glad that I am. I'm young. I'm a baby, but I just missed like when social media was getting really fucking big. So I'm really glad I missed all of these uh, social media challenges because I know I would have <laughs> done some extremely stupid things. And like just like the kids in uh, Touch the Night, I also would walk around with a video camera filming ourselves doing uh, like jackass type of stunts. But I was too dumb to figure out how to upload it to YouTube, which had just begun. So I'm glad none of that's online. <laughs> um, Facts, much like much like clown school, it's never too late, buddy. Yeah. It's never too late. You guys want to begin a video uh, group? Yes. Well, <laughs> we'll do a TikTok. That's what it'll. Um, hey, on a on a on a serious note with Facebook, though, um, even if you talked to us a year ago about Facebook, I would have said that uh, promoting a brand really needed to involve facebook but that has absolutely changed like when we set up the podcast nine years ago uh facebook was like practically the only way to really get traction on anything and i feel like in the last year or so definitely 
Um, I'm like, yeah, you know, Instagram is more important. And, and like you said, Twitter is definitely more important. Um, so I'm hoping that that's a trend that continues because, yeah, Facebook is really almost unredeemable in, in general, if it, you ask me. It's become almost this wasteland yeah. of just wasted time. It's It's crazy how that shift happened. I don't know. I mean, it has to be because with a business page, like I still have a page for my uh, for PMMP. I use a decoy account without any friends, so I don't get stuck looking right. at things I don't need to. But almost anything you post on a business page is not seen by anybody unless you try to pay for it, it seems. And it's yep. just a fucking con. Yeah, there's no also, value in it really anymore. I also have a grudge against Facebook because I, I think they are pretty much responsible for uh, killing like internet comedy like uh, Cracked.com <laughs> and College Humor. I'm pretty sure, I mean, that's the reason why all those sites went to the grave. Yeah, there's nothing. I don't, I don't like anything about Facebook. Where do you get about it? Zuckerberg, if you, were, if, you didn't, if, if you didn't know where I stood, now you do. Good movie, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. 100% agree. All right, Max. I, I don't want to go without touching on the fact that you have twice as many podcasts as we do. So uh, let's start with Castle Rock Radio. Um, I, I'm aware, but for our listeners, what is Castle Rock Radio about, and how did you decide to, to get started on that? Yeah, so I... As you mentioned when you introduced me in the bio, I write sometimes for a website called Lit Reactal. And one of the uh, columns I wrote was a, it was basically, I guess you could call it a TikTok challenge of when I, I wanted to read every uh, collection that Stephen King had written and write like a brief summary of every uh, short story in all the books. And I did that and I went insane. And I, uh, it was a really long uh, column about observations I gained from reading all of his uh, short fiction. And while describing some of the uh, the plots of some of these stories, I uh, just began cracking up because I would I would explain them to like uh, my wife. And one in particular was uh, the cat from hell which is a short story about a hitman who is contracted to kill a cat. And it ends with that cat crawling down the hitman's throat and exploding out of his stomach. And that is a, a fucking wacky plot. And the mill, we, uh, the mill I described these plots to people, the, the mill of fun I had, and I thought, hey, why don't we, this, this could be a podcast maybe. So that's what we did. It's a uh, podcast where every episode we take a, a novel or a, a short story or a film adaptation somehow related to Stephen King, and we just walk through the plot from beginning to end, but less like a review and mull, just trying to find jokes out of the content. I could appreciate that. I don't remember. Maybe it was when the fourth Dark Tower book came out, but there was a an interesting introduction by Stephen King, where he kind of tried to do a little bit of a refresher of the previous three books, I think, at that point. And it sounded so ridiculous to hear three <laughs> books summed up in like three pages that I, I like start like what my thought was like, what the fuck am I reading? I love those books, but hearing it put this way is very, very different. And of course, I forgot about that, you know, 30 pages into the new novel as I got caught back up in the world. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. Even hearing the creator sum it up, it, it just sounded stupid. 
And I really, I was like, what am, what am I, why am I reading this? But, you know, it's great. I mean, it's, I still say it's, um, for, for horror. And I know that the dark tower is, you know, kind of crosses a line between horror and maybe like science fiction fantasy. But I, I think for science fiction, fantasy, horror, whatever, it, it's the best, um, series I've, I've ever read. So, Agreed. but yeah, it can sound, yeah. it can sound really dumb trying to sum up what's <laughs> happening. You also, um, uh, you, you also come across like uh, traits that Stephen King has that maybe you don't pick up on unless you read a bunch of his stuff in a row. And it's funny, it almost serves as not a recalling gag that keeps coming back. Like, for instance, the way Stephen King writes about fat people is really, really funny to me because none of them can uh, see their feet. And like, he will <laughs> describe them as saying, being, I don't know, 250 pounds. But the way he describes these uh 250 pound uh folks it's like they weigh 500 like oh and he walked in the room uh, shook as he walked yeah and yeah. also he uh he describes for some reason stephen king is convinced that whenever somebody is uh, afraid uh the top of their head goes completely white that's just something that he believes <laughs> and it happens so often <laughs> and it's really amusing to me all right so that the description of the overweight person Livius, you're going to back me up on this well, for sure Gwendy's button box which mm-hmm. uh, he co-wrote with Richard Chismar <laughs> yeah. uh, that happened in that and, and it, we, yes. it was so weird that we called it out or I don't know if it was on the episode or if we just talked about it off on our own but um, like when you were saying that I was like yes yes I know exactly what you're talking about so it's funny yeah yeah, I'm personally offended by it. By a guy at you know two thirty, I think I haven't gotten on a scale in years because I'm terrified of what it's going to say. But yeah, it, it always, it always kind of. <clears throat> there's two ways to look at them. I'm, I'm an out of shape guy that's two thirty, and I'm definitely not in a Stephen King book. <clears throat> but if you watch like boxers or like pro wrestlers and they weigh two thirty, they're cut like Greek Adonises. So I, I don't fall into either category. So I always find that kind of, kind of amusing. I also enjoy how often uh, someone will uh, pistol pants in fright in the Stephen King story. It happens at mm. least twice in almost any book, it seems. <laughs> I've always wanted to create like a bingo called of things that might happen in the Stephen King story, but I uh, haven't gotten around to it yet. Well, well I think that's going to make some for some really interesting questions when you get him on your other podcast, yeah. Ghoulish. I, I want a man. I want it so badly. I have. I even know what the episode would be, and I I don't know if he would be offended or not. But the episode, because ghoulish, or I should say ghoulish, is a, is an interview podcast where I talk to somebody, mostly in a comedic fashion, for like a half an hour. I like to think of it as like a a late night a late night talk show type of thing, like with a Conan, who I uh, quite like. The episode I want to do with Stephen King is I would begin introducing him, and I would say, "You, Stephen King, the uh, the awful of," and I would list every single book he had ever written, and then he would say, "Oh, thanks for having me," and I would say, "Oh, well, we've run out of time. Thanks anyway," and that would be the episode. <laughs> that you somehow. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. You did. Uh, so I, I feel like you had a practice round when you did Michael David Wilson because. Like four minutes into the episode, you're like, "Oh, we'll, we'll, I'll call you back in two days when it's the anniversary of your podcast." So, like, you did. They didn't know it was like ten minutes in, and you're like, "Cut yeah. it." I don't know if it was actually two days later, but that was a funny little yeah. gag. 
Oh, thanks. I even brought the idea up to uh, Rich about, like, hey, wouldn't this be funny? <laughs> you think you could ask him? He uh, did not respond. It's <laughs> probably the classiest response, so yeah. Surprised. And also, I would have to say the ball's on you to do that if you could get Stephen King on your podcast. I, I got to tell you, I, I don't <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure if I would be horrified or have the utmost respect for you. One, one of the two, either it would be disgust or, or some type of like adulation for, for you doing that if you could land Stephen King. I feel like I could do it anyway if I wanted to, because all I need is to edit his. I just need to find the interview where he says, thanks for having me. But it's not yeah. as funny. It would only be funny if I actually got him on and made him listen to me recite every title and say, oh, well, a lot of time. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Um, one of the things that we had said we were going to do um, is you were very kind to provide provide signed arcs of Touch the Night for us, which can I tell you in all the times, all the arcs we've received, I don't know if anybody's ever included a bookmark, which is fucking amazing, by the way, because I, I read paper <laughs> books if I have to. So if like we're sent an arc and it's a paper book, I go, OK, I'm going to read a paper book. Everything else is digital. Which means yeah. I don't have a lot of bookmarks anymore. So when I opened this thing and there was a bookmark, I was like, thank God I don't have to use like a dollar bill or like a folded up McDonald's cheeseburger <sighs> wrapper. Like these are things I've used as bookmarks before. So first of all, very nice touch. Thank you. Before, um, you, before, was that, was before that you move on, I don't. I, I want to tell you, Livius has brought up this fucking bookmark. It has to be 10 <laughs> times since, since giving him the book. It's like it is the most... Uh, it's it's the biggest moment I think in 2020 for Livius. He's 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 really like when he's thanking you. Like you don't know the depth of of his gratitude for this yeah. fucking bookmark. So I'm so I, glad you like it. Thank you. No I, one will say anything about him. I feel bad because whoever gets my art copy is not getting the fucking bookmark. So there you go. I'm keeping my bookmark. Um, that being said, we wanted to bring you in on what that giveaway might look like. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you what Rob's idea was. So we, we thought maybe if you had some input on how you would like for us to give these away, we could uh, we could take that and uh, consider running with it. You know, I listened to the episode you guys did, and I heard you uh, uh, <laughs> make fun of Rob's idea. And now I'm dying to know what it is. It's it's this is going to be the anticlimax of the entire episode. I was yeah. like the first two people to email him. <laughs> They'll get him. <laughs> Should we have David Keaton come up with a trivia question? Well, my my idea was turned down, so this is all you guys. You guys figure out. All right. After much debate, and we even we even asked David James Keaton for help, which uh, he, he he did try to provide. In all fairness, we've come up with this. Here's the contest to get this beautiful signed arc. Two of them. We have two of them. Max Booth the thirds touch the night. <sighs> Draw something, preferably in Microsoft Paint. Email it to bookedpodcast at gmail.com no later than Sunday night, uh, June, I don't know, was it going to be like the 21st, I think? Um, and uh, Rob and I, live, while we're recording our next episode, will select um, two winners. Um, please include your mailing address. And um, hopefully, uh, if you really want the bookmark, indicate that, because then Rob may send you his copy, because he doesn't seem nearly as attached to his bookmark as I do. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, and my copy will come sans bookmark, but you will get a sticker. I am going to give up the sticker since I'm not giving up the bookmark. So, uh, bookpodcast at gmail.com, draw something, 
digitally and send it to us. And we're going to pick our uh, our two favorites live um, on the air. And you've got uh, at this point, you've still got like three days or so to get to it. So maybe that's all you've been doing during quarantine. Maybe you've been in Microsoft Paint, which quite honestly, none of us was sure still existed. And until I, I had to look it up on my computer. So if you're on a Windows machine, you've got that. I guess if you're a Mac user, um, no. borrow. Uh, no. What, what would they use on a Mac, Rob? Uh, there's not a built-in program for like drawing. Like I mean, they would use like Pages or Numbers or Keynote, one of the productivity softwares. So uh, get one of those to us, um, our favorite ones, win the copies. Please include your address. And then uh, after we announce the winner on the next episode, winners on the next episode, you can uh, go sit by your mailbox and wait. Max, is there anything you'd like to plug before we let you go? <laughs> oh, man, no. I mean, this whole episode has been a giant plug, right? To uh, touch the night. So go buy that. You can buy it any place you, you uh, buy books. You can uh, follow me on uh, social media at Give Me Your Teeth. And uh, my website is talesfromtheboost.com. Beautiful, Max. And hey, happy launch day. Oh, thank you. It comes out today. And Max gave up like two hours of his time talking to us about it. So we really appreciate that. Max, thanks so much for taking the time and going over like all of the crazy, awesome things that you do. Um, we'll definitely not wait so long to have you on again. Excellent. What a fun time that was with Max Booth. Um, I strongly encourage today. It's out today, like right now. So right now when we're recording, which means it's been out for already a couple of days. So you're late on getting on this. Um, if you're into um, horror, if you're into, uh, you know, we refer to it as cosmic horror. If you're into gross, scary stuff, for sure, get yourself a copy of Touch the Night. It's uh, it's one of those. So we reviewed it two days ago. Um and it's like it's it's still bouncing around my mind, and I think I like it more now than I did when I when we reviewed it two <laughs> days ago. So you're gonna look back at it two years from now and be like, yeah, that book. I, I look, the book has enough going for it that that it's going to. I, I don't know who I'd recommend it to because I think it's a fairly specific audience. But if someone says, "Hey, man, what's like some crazy horror shit you've read?" I, I think this will be one of the first things that comes to mind for sure. Yeah, and um, that conversation. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna do a little behind the scenes. Like we don't. We don't usually do this, but we had, you know, our, our general list of questions, and we're like probably closing in on the hour mark. And then Livius highlights the um, podcasts question. I, like I had completely we overlooked the fact that like we still had all of this other content to talk about, and we were almost already in an hour because this dude does everything. So um, I feel like we could have probably gone another hour and and done the this is horror style split it up into two episodes thing because there was just yeah so much uh good stuff to talk about yeah i'm sure that we'll have max on again and as a matter of fact i mean we already worked out that we're gonna have him on for yeah. something pretty special next year but between now and then there's a lot of time we, we may have him back sooner um Hey, if you're a new listener, um, please take a moment and rate our podcast on whatever app you're listening to. Specifically, if you're listening through the Apple ecosystem, we would love it if you would leave us a review and rate the podcast and subscribe. Um, you're writing a review and rating us helps us get seen by other people. I've been watching a lot of how to grow your podcast videos. And really, that's all they ever say is like, make sure you ask for subscriptions and reviews. And you know what? I feel like we don't. I remember, do you remember when we were on Stitcher and when you used to, when they used to tell you, like you had to mention that you were on Stitcher. So we talk about Stitcher mm -hmm. a lot, like year two. Yeah. 
we're over that. If you're listening on Stitcher, we still love you. But go up and, and, and give us a, a rating um, so that other people can see this podcast. Rob and I are not fat with podcast cash just yet. So we'd like to get there. And we can with your help. To be fair, we're only in our first decade. Like, we, you know, next next year it'll be... <sighs> anyway. All right. So, uh, yeah, definitely do that, please. It does give us more exposure and... and put us in front of more people's eyes or I guess in more people's ears, hopefully, um, which sounds kind of gross now that I say it that way. Um, but yeah, absolutely helpful. If you haven't done that already, please do. And, um, coming up, we have a couple of, uh, weeks gap between, um, books. So we've got a couple of things we're trying to nail down as far as like, are we going to do interviews? Are we going to do some other stuff? We're not hundred percent sure. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll have, something for you coming up and then the month of july as i've been saying is going to be tons and tons of awesome content so um yeah hopefully uh come back soon and catch whatever we got going on next week all right um thanks for tuning in to this uh most excellent interview episode um until next time i'm livia snedden and i'm rob olson keep reading